My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. Uh, if you're looking around, you're wondering where a lot of our families are. Well, it's fall break, uh, so some people are out of here. Uh, yeah, right? I know. There's, it's like vacation time. If you've got little ones, uh, sometimes you want to duck out of town. But Guys, it's great to be here with you. If this is your first time, we're a part of a ministry called Every Nation. We do a lot of church planting. We do a lot of world missions. We're passionate about reaching the next generation. We believe in that. We're in a series right now called Living Color. You can see the, the paintings behind us. We as a church slapped those together uh, out in the parking lot after service a couple weeks ago. To give everybody this, the, the taste of kind of being able to put their mark on a canvas. That all of us coming together make a beautiful picture that we can see in living color. That this life isn't designed to be seen and experienced in black and white. That there's more to it than that. Like Dorothy when she steps out and Oz is munchkin land and... The Golden Brick Road, beautiful color. And so this morning, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get into some things today. And I'm going to come at this from a different uh, angle. I've been praying about this, been thinking through this. And rather than talking about how to see more like Jesus... I want to talk about things that we do that move us backwards, meaning if, if you're used to going to church and you, you've grown up a Christian or you have a measure of faith, oftentimes you find a church and you're excited about that church, aren't you? You finally found one. I've been searching and, I, and I've got a place that I call home. I love the worship. I love the preaching, Hopefully. Or maybe you're new to faith and you recently become a Christian and you are just geeked out of your mind. I pray that that excitement doesn't stop. I want to tell you, though, a trend that oftentimes happens. It's tragic. And there's a reason to it. But oftentimes we, we get changed, right? And God moves powerfully in our lives and all of a sudden we see differently. And you're excited and you're passionate and you're jumping out of your shoes. And then this thing happens where this starts to become routine. This thing loses its luster. This thing loses its passion. We sing of this deep abiding love that God has for us and we love Him in return. And yet sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? Sometimes it doesn't feel like that at all. It feels mundane. It might even feel boring. You guys with me this morning? Everybody do this. Thank you. Just jazz hands. Jazz hands, everybody. Thank you. I'm just I'm making sure that you are with me today. It kind of has a sleepy, overcast feel a little bit outside today. There's lots of people out. The drummer wasn't there to crash the cymbals and make sure that we were all awake today. So I'm going to come at you today. I'm going to bring the gospel in a way that helps open our eyes. 
But we're going to preach today about some things that we oftentimes do, traps that we fall into that helps us, unfortunately, lose that love and feeling, you might say, if you're a Top Gun fan. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to Luke chapter 15. You ever rented a car and you loved that rental car? You know what I'm saying? Where you got that rental car and you thought to yourself, this is nicer than my real car. And you were sad when you had to turn that rental car back in because you knew that you were going back to your old car. Your car that had like chicken nuggets under the seats. You know, there was, some, there was water coming through the sunroof. You know what I'm talking about? All those things are real in, in one of our cars right now. <laughs> That's real life, okay? There's like a chip bag in the back seat, chicken nugget under the passenger seat, you know, some dirt, some pins all over the place. You're like, man, I don't want this car. I want my rental car. It feels so clean and so nice. The power windows work properly. That's right, the little things, right? I'm, I'm venting right now. And I, I want you to say this, I, or hear this. This is what I, I was thinking about this picture of the gospel. Because for many of us, this is what living for Jesus looks like. You've got your crusty car that you're driving, and then you trade up. And you are so pumped for a season, for that week, or that month, or however long you have that rental car. Somebody banged your car up, and so you were, your insurance company got you that car, and it's nicer than the one that you have. But then you've got to turn those keys back in. And it's like, mm, here I go again. I'm back in this place one more time. I was seeing in full living color over here, baby. But now I'm back. I'm back in the, you know, the Wizard of Oz. I'm back in the house. And it's black and white all over again. I don't want this. How do I stay over there? I want to talk about that today. Luke chapter 15. There's a story that even if you are, if this is your first time to church, many of you have heard. It's the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to paraphrase the majority of it for you. Suffice to say, Jesus, Jesus is speaking to, to the crowd. There's Pharisees and teachers of the law that are present, and there are sinners and tax collectors present. And the sinners and tax collectors are creeping in. They're anxious to hear what Jesus has to say while the Pharisees are muttering that Jesus is hanging out with people like sinners and tax collectors. And so Jesus masterfully says, hey, I've got a parable I'd like to share with you. It's about a father and a son. And this son decides that he would like to collect his inheritance early. Which, if you understand uh, the, the Jewish culture at the time, that's something you would collect only after your father died. And in many ways, it's like saying, I wish you were dead so I could have my money and get on with my life. The father uh, relents and he gives his son his inheritance early. And the son goes and he travels to a distant land, Jesus says, and he squanders his money. He finds some friends that aren't really friends. People that are just hanging out with him. Using his money with him. He blows his money, the Bible says, on prostitutes and vile living. 
Just blows it. His whole inheritance. And then one day he wakes up and realizes, I don't have any money. What am I going to do? I'm poor. As well as the condition of his life, might I add, was poor. And so he finds a pig farm. And he begins tending pigs to make some money. He's so hungry that he begins to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. Slop. If you've ever seen pig slop, it's not pretty. It's not anything that you would ever want to eat. And a light turns on in the young son's brain. He says, what am I doing? I've got a good father. I'm going to go home, and in in my father's house there are many servants, and I will just, I'll become a servant in my dad's house. And I'll at least be able to get by and have a roof over my head. This is where we pick the story up in Luke 15, verse 21. The son returns home. The father, by the way, had been waiting expectantly for him. He wasn't just playing video games or somehow sitting around the the table doing bills or taking on the, the affairs of his life. He was outside watching the horizon that his son might return. He was doing so with great expectation, with great heart, with great fervor, because this father loves his son, and this son was lost, and this father was desperate to see his lost son become found again. And the son gets home and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, hurry, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals upon his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat And celebrate, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. So they began to celebrate. Are you guys with me this morning? We're seeing a huge picture of the gospel. This is the gospel in its entirety. In a nutshell, though, capsule form that you can swallow. Like those Flintstone vitamins. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus is in the midst of a crowd. And this crowd is divided because you have tax collectors and sinners who are desperate to hear the truth. And you have those who are supposed to know the truth. And they're bothered by the fact that Jesus is spending time with sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus tells them this story that this is what my father is like. The God that you serve, that you pay lip service to, you don't have his character downright because this is who he is. This is what he's after. Those who are in darkness, that they would come to the light. Those who are lost, that they would become found. Those that would be jacked up would somehow experience healing. Those who are broken would be made right and whole. 
That's the gospel. And if you remember nothing else from this message today, remember this. You are never too lost to be found. You're never too lost to be found. But we're going to keep going because you ever watched, you ever been in the movie theaters and you watched a Marvel movie? Raise your hand if you've seen a Marvel movie in the theaters. That's hopefully most of you. If you're not, some of our members of church might say, you need better friends. You know, you need better friends. If you've never been to the movies to see a Marvel movie. But what do you do at the end of a Marvel movie? What do you do? What? One more time. You wait for the, to the end of the credits, do you not? Of course you do. You know. This isn't the end of the story. You might think it is, but surprise. There's a little bit more coming. You thought the movie was over, but oops, there's a little Easter egg at the end. And you realize that the, the, the whole thing hasn't come to a complete end. And the prodigal son, it's interesting because we have a story about that which is lost being found. And many of us preach this, we read this, and the story comes to an end. But surprise, there is another scene at the end of the credits. And if we would be wise to look at these next few verses. Because inside of them is much of the reason. It doesn't capture all of it in its entirety, but much of what causes us, our passionate love for Jesus, to go from vivid living color to black and white is found in the next few verses. You guys ready this morning? Let's do this. Paraphrase. The fattened calf has been killed. The son who's been living wild, extravagant, his extravagant lifestyle has been given the robe and the finger and the sandals, and there is a party going on. Verse 25, his older son was in the field. As he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the slaves and asked what was happening. The slave replied, your brother has returned and your father has killed the fattened calf because he got his son back safe and sound. But the older son became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and appealed to him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've worked like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your commandments. Yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who's devoured your assets and with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me. Everything that belongs to me is yours. It was appropriate to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. In these few verses, there's a lot to unpack here. And if I don't get to all of it, I'm going to go to week two. But hear me on this. 
We've got a young man who is unwilling to celebrate his brother, which in the text, might I add, he's no longer his brother. It's his father's son. Your son. That guy over there. He's angry, is he not? There's something brewing inside of him. And going unchecked, that thing will completely remove your capacity to see right. To see well, to see in color, to see like Jesus. I want to give you this example and then we're going to get to this word. I ordered this this week. It's a fishing hook. Now some of you guys go fishing, but me, I go fishing. Okay. That is, that's a big hook. Yeah, I know, right? I could do some work on this. Don't let any children up here after service. It's a fishing hook. Now, what is it that Jesus, at his first encounter with the disciples, if you recall, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. They're already fishermen as it stands. And so if I had two hands, I would have thrown this out a little bit and I would have begun to reel this in. Because God has deemed it that our life should be lived in such a way that you are hooking people with the gospel. That your life would be a righteous snare, so to speak, to those around you. That they would be caught up in the life that you're living in such a way that they would be drawn to Jesus. And who Jesus is. That your life should, I realize this is a tool that looks violent, right? But understand, in a loving, beautiful way, this hook is designed to hook other people. You guys with me? But what oftentimes happens, as we see, here's a young man. His brother is coming back. He's coming back into the good graces of his father. If there's ever a time where the gospel hook should be doing its work and doing its job. It's now, yet when he's reeling this thing in, it's not the gospel that's on the end of it. He snared something else, which is something for some reason Christians in particular have a real challenge with. This thing called offense just fun to twiddle around. Isn't it? If you're listening online, I am holding a gigantic hook, gigantic fishing hook. I want you to hear this because I realize every person has the capacity to be offended. But if there's anyone who should guard their heart the most against offense, is it not a Christian? Is it not one who is guarding the sanctity and purity of their life, that the thing that they are drawing in is not offense, is not anger, is not bitterness or rage. It's people who are drinking from the same water you're drinking from, and they say, my gosh, this is amazing. What is it that you're doing? What is this life that you live? And yet so oftentimes we offer them a glass that's half empty or like a, a glass of water you get at a restaurant that's got floaties floating around in it as if somehow that looks refreshing. 
It is gross, isn't it? And yet this is the faith oftentimes the church is offering the world. And guess what the world says? Ugh, that's gross. I don't want that. And why would they? I wouldn't either. And so we find ourselves hooked. And on the end of this thing is, is offense. On the end of this thing is literally us. We're snared and trapped, and we just can't seem to get free, just like the older brother. I'm going to help you out this morning. Offense never stops growing. It's amazing. Every other living creature, uh, generally, you put it in a cage that's smaller than it's expected to, and it will stay restricted somehow. Have you heard of the fishbowl example? Where you, you take a shark or a fish and you put them in a small fish bowl. And it will somehow, its growth will stay relegated in proportion to the size of the bowl. It's amazing. If you didn't know that, you're welcome. A fence does not operate on the same principles. It doesn't matter how much you try to contain that thing. It has an amazing way of growing if you don't deal with it in your heart. Everybody is going to experience offense. You cannot avoid it. But what happens next is really up to you. Because offense has a way of growing into this thing that we call bitterness. Have you ever been around somebody that's bitter? Bitterness has a way of growing into this thing called rage. Have you ever been around somebody that's raging? Rage has a way of growing into this thing called a critical spirit. Have you ever been around somebody that's just critical all the time? And criticism has a way of growing into unforgiveness and have you ever been around somebody that just cannot forgive? Everybody was, it was easy to say yes to the others, wasn't it? Unforgiveness. Mm. That one has some, some power to it that's different than the others. And yet that is what we are talking about. My father was, for a businessman in St. Louis, he grew up on a farm, country. And he would say things sometimes that were so country, but there's just no other way to say it. When we talk about offense and unforgiveness and bitterness and rage, he would say, those are all kissing cousins. If you've ever heard a country phrase, they're all kissing cousins, meaning, ugh, they're kind of grossly related, aren't they? Yes, they are. They're kissing cousins. Unforgiveness and bitterness and, and deep-seated anger and cr a critical heart, they all begin to tie into each other. And you just can't seem to get free of your own hook. My sister, I'll share this story. I'm going to tell on myself because no one is exempt from any of this. My, my birthday was in July, July 10th. 
Go ahead. That's your big idea for today. Go ahead and write that down. You don't want to forget it. Birthdays, you know, some people celebrate birthdays differently. We've never been in my family a huge, huge birthday family. We're Amy and I, Amy's helping me, you know, adjust that. We just, Christmas was more of our big thing, and birthdays were celebrated, but it wasn't this, woo, extravaganza. But I do expect my sister to call me on my birthday, or at minimum, minimum, send a text message, or even worse, an email? No, I wouldn't even, I would would have rejected that. (laughs) You expect somebody to reach out to you, do you not, and say, hey, happy birthday, my sibling. And my phone didn't ring. And my text didn't chime. And I thought, oh, you know what? She's just busy. She's got a lot going on. And so I didn't even bring it up. I let it go completely. And what month is it now? August, end of September, getting ready to go into October. And we hadn't talked on almost two months, which is a rare amount of time. And I hadn't taken the step to initiate a phone call with her because deep down I was a little more bothered than I realized. fine. If you're listening online, the hook just fell to the ground. So my sister calls. I'm in the car line at my kid's school. And she calls and she says, hey, I just realized I'm calling an old phone number for you. She said, what? I've got two phone numbers on your contact, and for some reason my phone, when I hit favorites and I call you, it's, it's going straight to this number, and it still has your voicemail on it. So I'm leaving a voicemail after voicemail, and you're not calling me back, and I just realized I'm calling a number, and I have a feeling this is probably your old number, isn't it? I'm sitting in the car. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing, Andy? You didn't think that you were bothered by this. But you were because the moment she said what she said, you felt a little freedom in your heart. Oh, I had it all wrong. I said, so when did you actually remember that it was my birthday. That's what I said. She said, oh, I left you more than one voicemail on your birthday. And I sent this text and and here I am sitting there and I thought, Jesus, I'm 37 years old and I'm still not exempt from finding myself hooked on getting offended. And this one was crafty. It was deceitful. It was sneaky because there wasn't some this overt thing that was communicated. I didn't even feel like I was offended. And yet when she called and she brought it up, I realized I was more bothered than I realized. And I had to let myself off this hook, so to speak. 
I had to get off the line and go to Jesus. And don't think for a second, and we laugh about my family scenarios. Is there anybody here who has a family that doesn't offend them all the time? Of course. The people that love you the most will be the people who offer the most offense to you. And if we cannot learn to live where our life isn't drawing in offense, but rather drawing in the gospel, then we will never be the light that Jesus has asked us to be. Amy and I had the pleasure not too long ago of going to another church. We were out of town and we went to a church It's an amazing church. There's no other way to say it. It's a great church. It's a young church. Probably about as young as ours. And we went to it. We'd heard all kinds of great things about it. And we went. And there was, you know, six, seven hundred people at it. And it was amazing from top to bottom. We were in the second row. We have friends that were there, and the worship team started, and it's, you know, professional musicians. And I mean, it was just, it was. It's everything that you dream about, interestingly enough, as a church planter. Sometimes, confession, you dream about the wrong things. But I found myself as here I was trying to worship. And I'd been talking to people before service. I talked to people after service. And as a fellow church planner, you know what it is that I'm doing? I'm, I'm examining like a scientist everything about their church because I want to know everything that they did. I want to get it down so I can at least run it through my process. And if there's anything that I can do better, anything that I can learn, anything that I can implement, well, I want to. And here I am in the middle of worship, and I'm having a difficult time worshiping God. And like the older brother who is telling his, his father, what about my fattened calf? I felt this thing rising up inside of me and saying, God, what about me? How come... This church is where they're at, and how come we're over here doing this? I thought we would be at 600. Where's my slaughtered goat and calf and party? I've been doing everything right, God. Come on. And this is where things begin to go from color to black and white. Because it doesn't have to be a church, it can be a house. Oh, look, at, look at them. Look at that big house they moved into. God, when am I going to get a break? What about me? When am I going to get married? If I have to go to another friend of mine's marriage 
What about mine? Where's my husband? Where's my wife? What about my ability to have children? How come they do? What about me? What about my breakthrough? What about my healing? And lo and behold, who is it that you're offended at this time? It's not a human being. You're offended at God. And the very God who has brought you life change and the very God that has saved you now becomes the God that you have a difficult time worshiping and you find yourself hooked, unable to give Him the praise and worship that He truly deserves. And so what do we do in this moment? Whether you're offended at God, and might I add, when it comes to our Heavenly Father who is good and righteous, what I'm about to say applies to your earthly relationships, but there's a little twist as it pertains to your Father. But understand, in Ephesians chapter 4, 30 through 32, the scriptures say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away all bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, and slanderous talk. Indeed, all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness can never change the past. But it sure can change the future. You don't need to forgive God because God has never wronged you. Even though sometimes it can feel like, God, if you're so big... Why didn't you do this differently? Why didn't you change this? I got so hurt over here, God. I feel like I've been trying so hard. I'm out in the field, slaving away. Do you see what I'm doing here? verses here, the scripture doesn't offer us an end to this story other than the father inviting his older son to celebrate inviting his son to trust him that even though it may look a little crazy and even though it may look a little upside down trust me Trust me. Trust me. And interestingly enough, the writer of Ephesians says to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. And so as it pertains to a mother or a father, what do we get to do? We get to forgive.
we get to remove the hook. See, to forgive says to cancel payment. That's what it literally means. It means to stop payment. It's a financial term. And for many of us, we, we take the hook out and we use it as a weapon, do we not? Because we're angry, we're hurt, we're broken. And you want to make someone pay for what they've done to you. But forgiveness means to cancel payment, meaning not only are you removing the hook, you're just setting it down completely. You're not even using it. You're laying it down. You're canceling the payment. And so when it comes to the offense that you've experienced at the hand of a mother or a father, guess what you get to do? You get to have a moment where you say, God, I choose to forgive. If you've got a brother or sister that has hurt you or broken you, guess what you get to do? daughter who's hurt you, which if they haven't yet, moms and dads, they will. A spouse. And in the same way that Jesus and our Heavenly Father has forgiven us, stopping the payment, the punishment for our sins, we get to do the exact same thing. We get to forgive. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, we look to you. God, everyone in this room has hurts and has pains and has had hardships. Some of it is circumstantial. Some of it we've looked to you and we wonder why. Some of it has been caused at the hands of other people, rightly so, sometimes not so. God, would you help us right now? right now to let go. Would you help us right now to stop trying to make people pay for what they have done to us? Right where you are right now, I want you just to, to think of someone or something that you know it's that thing that's been bothering you. It's that thing that's eating you up on the inside that, that sometimes it's, it's like you, you go back to it. Every time it's like the, the well that you keep drawing water from and you need to make it stop. You need to be free. You need to get off that hook. Say, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, today I choose to forgive. Whisper it, pray it, say it out loud, name the person, and let go. 
God isn't asking you to forget, but he's asking that you would forgive. So Father, right now we choose forgiveness. We choose grace. Just like your son offered us. Help us to let go by the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Even as we're praying, I felt reminded, I, I, I was running out of time and I forgot to share this with you, but for clarity's sake, if you're like, well, what, why does the older son need to forgive the younger son in this story? Because there's a lot in the story that you don't see. You see, a father who's spending his time watching and looking for the son's return, possibly to the perception of the older son feeling neglected. You got a younger son who's working, and guess who's now shouldering the weight of the younger son's workload? The older son. You got all these things in play that might be causing tremendous pain and angst, and some of it rightfully so. But instead of getting offended and turning to his father to help navigate the situation, that offense grew into bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. pretty important that I share that with you and I completely forgot to connect that dot for you. If we're going to be anything today, let us be those who are quick to forgive, quick to offer grace, quick to speak truth, truth and love. Let us be quick to remove the barb of this hook let our lives fish for people and let us rejoice in those who are lost becoming found Father be with us today we love you and worship you in the name of Jesus